Hi, Beat. This is right, right? Beat is your first name. Yes. What was your first computer? Commodore 64. Oh, uh, what is your first action? A game? Uh, yes, I guess I played uh, probably uh, Paperboy or, uh, or something. Paperboy yeah. was great. I remember yes. that. And uh, recently, I, um, I, uh, there, there was a video clip. So I look at that. And this was like, you know, the, uh, uh, this was a, um, a guy, I think, on a bike, which distributed the papers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You could throw papers. You should throw them in mailboxes, but you can also throw them at people and cars. Yeah, yeah. And... This was fun. Okay, nice. And the next one? The next computer, you mean? Yeah, next game. No, no computer. Uh, the next game, I think uh, winter games or winter games or summer games. Oh, could, this know, is a joystick destroyer. And... Joystick yeah. destroyer, right? So yes. you have to move very fast back and forth. Well, the, the actual joystick destroyers were the games where you had to run. Uh, yeah. And then you needed to move the joystick left Thank and right as fast as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but uh, on a very young age, I found out that I could cheat here because I took an old controller and I ripped out the cable and I found out which, which connections would mean left and right. And okay. then I made a device of wood with three nails in there with the cables connect. And I could move the device back and forth really fast and then I could beat my brother or sister in the running game. Ah, this is how you know the Morse, Morse alphabet happened, you know? Yes, <laughs> about like this. <laughs> okay, what's what's you you keep playing or you start hacking or what's you know what what's your first line of code? Uh, probably uh, print something. So it was in in, in basic on the on the Commodore, and uh, I probably was first printing text and stuff, and then I started reading some programming books, and then I, I read about sprites and peek and poke and stuff like this, but I didn't really understand it. So I think the first games I made, I was typing them from, from a book. So wait a second, why you started programming at all? So why why you not no kept gaming? Uh, I got bored of gaming and, and I found out that I could make the computer do what I wanted it to do. And, and that sounded interesting. Okay. Uh, so I started fiddling, you know, with, with, with uh, programming basic a little, but I didn't really know how. But we, we had some books and maybe it was also in, I don't know, in the newspaper or something. So you could, you would type listings from the book into the computer and then you would run it and it wouldn't work because obviously you would have made typing errors. Uh, so then I would try to find out what typing errors I made, give up, start all over again. And this was basically my first programming experience. What I really enjoyed is that you could actually save the basic games on a tape. Yeah, yeah, and, definitely. And... Yeah, we, we had, a, we had a, a diskette drive, so that was even, oh. uh, even faster. But uh, what sometimes happened is while I was typing a game and after typing like 5,000 lines, my brother would come by and combine and uh, combine and shut down the computer uh, oh. because he wanted to, uh, you know, play soccer with me or something. And then I need to start over again. So is this, this was old... also where I first learned oh. about the frustrations of programming. Oh, is this your, you have an older brother? Yes. Is, um, was he more powerful than you? Uh, he was taller than me and also a bit stronger. Yes. yes. Oh, so, okay. That's a problem. Okay. Yeah. So uh, there were, were first resilience patterns and fault tolerance probably, you know, happened because yeah. uh, you had yeah, to Yeah, I learned, uh, I, so we, the computer was in the attic. So I learned that whenever I hear somebody walking up the stairs, I need to save the program. Oh, I, 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 I suppose uh, even now, right? So you know, this reminder <laughs> yeah, of your I'm childhood. Still, if still. you hear someone on there, no? <laughs> whenever my children walk up the stairs, I start pressing command S to save my uh, my Java code real quick. Okay. So that <laughs> it it could be a horrible at a conference, right? So if you're on stage, yeah. uh, constantly saving because someone is moving. Okay, uh, okay. So you stick. So with basic, you already program some games. Yeah, well, um, I, I programmed some like text text based adventures because mm -hmm. that was easy. Mm -hmm. I tried to program some games with visual effects, but I didn't really didn't really make it. I, I didn't understand enough of of peeking and poking and and stuff that you need to do to to you know write sprites on the on the screen. Okay. And then you forgot about programming, so it didn't work out. Then you, you know, shut down the computer and 
went and went play. went outside uh, to play no yeah. a little no that, then a couple of years later we got a uh, i think it was a 486 uh, pc okay and then i learned that you could program there on with uh, pascal so turbo pascal and okay. i could make uh, like uh, executables uh, there that i could copy to my other friends uh, pcs and and break their pcs etc um oh and uh yeah that was always a nice thing to try right to see if i could get smoke to exit from their uh, pc uh, I managed once when I installed a program on uh, on the computer at school, and uh, the, the 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 teacher went away for a while. And then he went back, and then his computer was smoking. Okay, and how you did it? So this is uh, well, not, uh, not that much. It was, I think, uh, a utility I built that would made it easy to switch directories. But probably there was some some loop in there that that uh, made the computer a bit more active than it should be. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. <laughs> this is so even one more reason to save often, you know. Because in yes. this particular case, it wouldn't help, I think. No, no, definitely, no. And then when, when I, uh, so I was programming Pascal, and uh, I could also, you know, do some visual stuff, and you could write assembly in there, but I, I was kind of missing, like, somebody to help me with this, because I was the only kid in my class who knew how to program in Pascal. So uh, the, my, my parents bought a modem for the, for the computer, okay. and I um, uh, used this modem uh, 28K8. Uh, so one of the, well, not, the, not the, the slowest one, but a fairly slow one. Because but you remember the brand? Because back then, you know, modems were a big thing, you know, because I had yes. lots of investigations. and I don't remember anymore. It was gray, and it had red lights. Okay, but this is most, a, most every, everything. My was yeah. uh, almost black, and this was the U.S. robotics sports star. And oh, in Germany, yeah. we also had the Elsa. I, I remember that it's always interesting. It was a fun, you know, little hobby to uh, to get the fastest modem. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So, but but by using this modem, I I started calling uh, bulletin boards, which were basically like decentralized uh, uh, hubs where that you could call over the phone, and there would be software running where you uh, could basically chat with the person operating the board mm -hmm. and upload and download stuff. And there I got to chat with some others. And there I, I learned about the demo scene. Have you heard of the demo scene uh, before? Uh, yes, uh, on my podcast, actually. And someone oh, created, yeah. like, you know, uh, back then, like, small movies or, or sound and stuff like that, okay? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a sub computer art subculture uh, where people create, for example, demos, which is a small program that does something, or indeed music, or graphics, or videos. And I got in touch with some other people and and learned to program better there, also in assembly. And the nice thing with it was that by then uh, there was the internet wasn't really around, mm -hmm. but but people active in the demo scene wanted to get together to show each other what they had made. So then you would go to a, a demo party, which okay. was basically a, a huge, uh, for example, gym hall or, or okay. a university where five hundred thousand people would come. They would bring their computer and the monitors, hook everything together, and then you would meet, show each other things, and and also uh, show the, the productions you had made to each other to to see who had made the coolest demo, for example. Which demo you? Made? Uh, a couple ones. I, I was a bit active in the, um, uh, th this was called the intro competition. Where intros are typically stuff you see when you had cracked the program and you would add some visual effects like before. Okay. And these had size limits. So for example, you would uh, need to make an executable that was at most four kilobytes. Uh, okay. So you need to make it really small. So for example, what we worked on was because we also want music in there. So we had a real small music player, but we couldn't put any samples in there because samples, samples are audio files. Yeah. They're fairly big. So we generated these samples. For example, a sine wave can be a piece. Piano, uh, a hi hat is basically just noise. 
a drum is a sign that where, where the period becomes longer and longer over time. Mm -hmm. And this way, this way, we could create some rudimental music in only four kilobytes. Which uh, cool, something so. like vector graphics for music, right? So similar. yes, you could call it like this. Yeah, yeah, incredible. So this is actually incredible what you can learn, uh, you know, in, in in a young age. Yeah, because yeah. I think I I started well, I, I started programming. I think when I was about eight or something, and then started. Eight. Yes, I think on the on the Commodore sixty four, uh, but I I didn't do much. And then once we got the the PC, I think it was in in secondary school, so I was about twelve. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when I went to university on eighteen, I was basically well, I, I was studying studying computer science, so I I was programming anyway. So uh, okay, so uh, you did, uh, and this demo scenes was with uh, Assembler, I guess, right? Yes, Pascal and Assembler. Yeah, so before uh, eighty six. Yes. Yeah. Okay, and. Uh, what happened after Assembler and Tour Pascal? So what was the next language, I suppose, C? Uh, yes, a bit C and, and then DirectX and stuff uh, came. But for me, it kind of stopped with, with Pascal. And then uh, when I got a bit around years of 16 of age, I got interested into other things like, you know, girls and stuff. Oh. And uh, and then I didn't program hey, that much anymore. Hey, girl or go? <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit early for Go, no, I said Go. Yeah, right. So, uh, uh, and I didn't didn't program much anymore until I, I I started to learn Java in the in the university. Oh, and you liked that? Or you said okay, uh, go yes, away with Java? Well, it was it was it was again a way to to make a computer do what I wanted it to do. And uh, you know they were teaching us uh, Java, and and I liked the Java right from the start because it was fairly understandable uh, for me uh, at that time. Uh, I'd say that applets were still fairly popular. Okay. Uh, so uh, I experimented with that uh, a little. I think the f the first serious program I made was like a chat box or something. I think yeah. for uh, for a project. Uh, when you learned Java, which version was it? You remember? One, I think one two. It was in ninety eight, so probably Java oh, one two. Okay, okay. And uh, so you create applets and okay. What's what's interesting is uh, you were already very skilled with Assembler and and Turbo Pascal. So uh, what's uh, I seen? Oh, I ask you whether you like Java because usually it would mean you know. Java is too primitive because if yeah. you have the power and you then you know get public static void main and and I would ask myself you know is a toy language what is it there's no pointer yeah. no, no I needed to uh, I needed to unlearn procedural programming basically uh, okay. because in in Pascal there was not not that much of object orientation yeah so my first couple of programs I didn't use the new keyword once it was only yeah, static static stuff because yeah. that was what I was used to yeah. and then uh, uh, it, it I think <laughs> it even took me a couple of years before I kind of started to understand the, the concepts of object and the program because because I already knew how to program I didn't really need to pay attention uh, during the uh, the classes and when I was doing assignments it was still okay me writing everything static because I, I, I would make the, the assignment but mm -hmm. but not in a nice object oriented way so there was always the feedback that I got and I thought oh yeah well who cares about object orientation yeah, of course so uh reminds me on a project i was uh in a, in a big enterprise project with peter one programmers or rpg and they wanted to use java but it was really hard for them to understand objects and i was asked to write java code uh, without objects so basically <laughs> yeah. what i what i did is i wrote a lot of you no know, static methods because yeah. this is was very similar what they did and uh, a Califani fact and and you did it at uh, university. I remember even um, uh, when when Java five I think Java five came, there were static imports. So this was heaven for me because then I could static import stuff from everywhere. Uh, yeah, I, I like right? stat static imports because it makes yeah. everything shorter. So I really yeah. enjoy static imports right now. I do, yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah, but for me, it was a way to 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 still stay away from from object oriented programming. Wow, because, but Java five is two thousand five. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, what you did? 
reason about the university was Java. What was your first applet? So I'm really curious. Was it like, you know, uh, I don't really remember. No, probably. Well, pro maybe even still a kind of like a, a demo scene effect. Yeah. Uh, like, for example, like a, a plasma, for example. Yeah. Do you know a plasma with, with all these colors? Yeah. That yeah, yeah. Going, yeah. Yeah. Probably, probably that. Yeah, but this is hard to implement actually, right? Yeah. Well, if you know the, the concepts of, uh, you know, adding up some signs and cosines and cycling some colors, it's doable. I <laughs> see. <laughs> So like well, if you no, know, no, if but you know I'm not, the... I'm not, I'm not really deep into uh, into math. Uh, I actually hate math. Uh, okay, but, but since this is the math is fairly simple, it's still doable. I actually did it. I think <laughs> a year ago in in um, this is the greatest, in... you know, the greatest uh, podcast so far. I hate math, so I I, I just use math to, to to do some plasma animations. <laughs> but uh, I, this is too simple. <laughs> no, I I, uh, I did it about a year ago in in JavaScript. Also uh, created a, a plasma. It actually went fairly well with API you have nowadays on, on writing on a canvas and stuff. So. so it means if you now would learn a new programming language, you always start with Plasma, right? Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> if, <laughs> if, if it needs to be visual. So if, if I need to make yeah. something that displays something on a canvas, probably with your Plasma, yeah. Okay, oh, very good. <laughs> Uh, at one point of time, you had for sure a plasma TV, right? Uh, yes, and, and it was only showing plasmas all the time. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, nice. So what you... What was your first uh, or the next project beside applets in Java? Um, let's see. I think we built uh, for a project at the university. We built a system that would decide whether uh, the um, in the, the Netherlands has always been active with water, right? Like around 1953, half of the Netherlands flooded because there were really high water. Okay. And then we decided to build like barriers across the sea mm -hmm. with gates that can open and close to mm -hmm. keep the water out. Okay. And I think the first project was that we needed to write software. Um, for a test setup where we would measure the height of the water mm -hmm. and then determining on the patterns of the water rising would send instructions um, to close the gates or not. And we actually had like an aquarium at the university with sensors okay. uh, and then the project was to basically process the sensor input and then do something uh, do something with it. Okay, so a little bit mission critical, I would say, right? Yeah, well, for the aquarium, not really. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but but you... in general, yeah. But I don't think they used they actually used our actual code. Uh, no, because there was no so. catastrophe so far, as I remember. No, no? there no, was nothing no. or, in the news. Or, or they did, and, that... and it worked. <laughs> okay. Uh, almost right now, you will sell it as artificial AI because you yes. learn, you know, from the patterns what to exactly. do. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was it like a matrix multiplication involved a little bit or no? Neural no, no, it was it was mainly uh, uh, measuring the the water level and then projecting how fast it would rise and if it would go below some be above some threshold or something. This is a little bit math again, right? Because at least you have a no little, function. yeah, yeah, a little, yeah. And I didn't enjoy it, but still, I I needed to because it was a project I needed to do. Okay, and uh, something else interesting at the university time? Um, well, in my final project when I was doing my master's thesis, I built a um, text classification system. So it was huh? basically a natural language processing system that could analyze a, a, a set of training data. So it would, for example, be directories uh, with, uh, in every directory, text files on a certain topic, for example, news articles. So uh, mm -hmm. inside the country, outside economic sports, et cetera. And then uh, use, using Java, uh, I could build a model of each category where I would look at the features of the different texts. So ideally, you're looking for 
parts of words or combinations of parts of words that you see a lot in one category and mm -hmm. not in the other categories. And based on this, could create a model where you would feed a new unknown document to it. It would say with 85% confidence, it should be in this category. Okay. And for example, you could use this to aut automate uh, email responses from help desk, for example. If you're pretty sure that this is a question about my internet is not working, then you can send back the, the canned response from have you tried turning it off and on again, for example. That's interesting. And yeah. Is it still around? You could yeah, open source on GitHub. It would be a nice project, right? Uh, yeah, but things have changed a bit. So this was around 2006. Okay. And then I was using some um, machine learning toolkit from, uh, I think, the University of Waikato in New Zealand because it was the only one that was around. Okay. But now, year, years later, the concepts are still the same, but uh, uh, hardware has changed a lot. So now we have you know TensorFlow models that can do this in, in, in a half second or something. Uh, back in the day, the, the, the hardware was kind of limitation. So at the company where I was doing this, there were about eight people, and I would I would stay in the office uh, late till everybody went home and then uh, install my application on all the computers so that it could run through the night to train the model, for example. And then in the morning, I would come in again early to gather the results and make it again uh, together for, for like one, one, one model. So it was well, an so interesting time. You, uh, you can, you can now uh, do something for the Raspi. Yeah. Yeah, this would definitely. be a fun little project, which you now reads emails and classifies the emails. This would be yeah, really yeah. interesting. Okay. Yeah, so it's, uh, it, the, the, I'd say that the, the ideas around how to do this are still the same. They haven't changed, but the tools have evolved, uh, yeah. you know, with cloud solutions and, and stuff like TensorFlow, et cetera. It's, it's easier to do nowadays. Probably okay. what I worked on for, for half a year then is now two lines of TensorFlow code, I guess. Yeah, but still, yeah, this is actually an, a, a real AI project what you did. Now yes, you can sell yeah, it, yeah. okay? If, even though, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Even in that in that time, yeah. And why you did it? Was it assignment or was it your idea? Yeah, well, I was well, I was doing uh, like an assignment at um, a company that was working on language technology uh, okay. at that time. Okay. Huh. What I did is a little bit different, but you remind you know the project Sphinx. Yeah. Oh, this was a, a speech recognition, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there was free TTS. It was the uh, it could speak in Java, and what I did a very very simple, almost like Alexa, but it was it was two thousand three, I think, or before with that so you can you know you can learn simple commands and you could it's like a switch loop and if you would understand me and say something this was fun actually yeah, 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 so yeah. i never understood why you know they they have to send everything to the cloud because simple commands work like that right yeah i think at, uh, you you have some some pre-trained model that will you know yeah. recognize voice yeah, etc uh, and and I think nowadays that there are systems that are good enough to do this just just on the chip or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, what you did after the university? So what was your first uh, uh, job? <laughs> well, my first job, I I I, I, I lived in a student dorm at the campus in, in the university. Mm -hmm. and, Which uh, one university my, was it? Do you remember? At uh, Tenta in the kind of the east of the Netherlands, uh, okay. fairly close to the German border. Okay. And there's it's a campus university, so there's like a couple of hundred student houses where you live with students all together. Mm -hmm. a real fast internet connection so that was a pretty good place to uh, to to live uh, one of my uh, house um, housemates who finished his study earlier he went to work at a company in, in utrecht and he came by after and he said yeah i'm working at this company and it's a bit nice we're doing stuff with java and it's kind of like combining pre-built components uh, with new stuff for clients and if you're ever interested then maybe you should uh, we should talk and i could introduce you to the company yeah. and i said yeah okay that doesn't really sound too too interesting so maybe i'll I'll talk to you later. I went back to my room and five minutes later, I had an email. So I heard that you uh, wanted to work at a company. So can you please send your CV and a motivation? Uh, and I said, okay, well, let's do it. Uh, and then I started to work there and it was a company that was building software for uh, insurance uh, companies. Okay. And we did it with um, Java 1.4 
and basically uh, the servlet specification. So servlets, uh, JSPs, mm -hmm. uh, etc. Relational databases. No, no struts. We had an in in-house built framework, which oh, for that time was was pretty cool. Um, well, it's probably still fairly much the same now so yeah. i don't think it changed that, that that much but it handled stuff like database independence for mm -hmm. example so it could generate queries for oracle db2 uh, okay. server etc and how how long you stick at the company you enjoyed the job or was it boring obviously yeah no i worked there fairly long i think i i started there in 2006 and left in 2013 oh. maybe 2000 no 2011 i think 11 okay. or 12. okay yeah. and then uh, why do you, do you uh, want a new well, yeah, I, I found that that I didn't really learn that much anymore uh, there. So one of my colleagues took me to um, an event by the NLJUC. It was a groovy workshop, I think, uh -huh. at a company. So I uh, I went there and uh, well, I thought it was nice to, to learn something new. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the workshop, uh, it was like a three evenings workshop. There was like a challenge who could build, I don't know, a REST client the quickest or something. Okay. Uh, and I won I won that challenge. So next day I uh, I got uh, approached by the recruiter if I wanted to work there. And after some thinking, I said, okay, let's do it. And then I started in a project with Groovy, uh, I think EGB, EGB3, I think. Okay. And it was running on uh, on JBoss, I think. So it was uh, all things Java E, fairly new for that uh, time. Also in combination with Groovy. It was a nice project, but I also learned there that I mostly like to use Groovy in test code and not in production code. Okay. Yeah, it's a strange combination, EGB with Groovy on Wi-Fi. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice because there was all smart things going on that would automatically generate uh, stuff. But okay. uh, uh, for me, Groovy had had some some nice ways of you know handling collections, etc. Mm -hmm. There's also some nice pitfalls of shooting yourself in the foot while handling collections. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay, so you didn't like the collections, so you quit the company, I guess, right? Uh, no, so I worked there for for about two years. It was pretty uh, pretty nice. Uh, did some pretty cool projects with, with new technology, and then the company got acquired by a, a hardware company, and I knew that this was this was the end of you know doing doing fun stuff there. So then I started to look around. Um, uh, I, I was I was had become active in the Dutch Java community uh, then, mm -hmm. so I, uh, I I was visiting events and was therefore getting to know other companies so i was thinking like what do i really want to do i want to work at a small company uh close to my home with only good people okay. uh so that's when i when, when i joined uh, jpoint company where i've worked for about five years uh and that was pretty cool i did consulting there with with various clients all fairly modern stuff so i worked with uh with vertex and spring boot and the amazon cloud and all, all kinds of nice uh, frameworks uh, and after being there for about a year or five i thought wow it would be pretty cool to to uh, start a company of my own with with amazing people, and you know, build a cool team uh, there. So I did this three years ago. I started uh, Open Value together with somebody that I knew from the the NLJUC, the Netherlands Java User Group. Uh, well, this is three years ago, and now we're about uh, uh, twenty five people in our Utrecht office, and we have some other offices in in different uh, locations. Yeah, you invited me to NLJUC, right? Was it yeah. NLJUC? Uh, yeah, and I'll I think you spoke at JSpring last year, right? JSpring, yeah. And then I yeah. got, you know, uh, I was invited to say, hey, uh, there's a company from Beat in, in Munich. I yeah. say, oh, really? And, and, and then uh, I was invited by uh, some of your, you know, Munich 
how to call it uh, CEOs, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I delivered a talk, and um, it was a uh, fun. And this was a. Uh, um, and then I found about Open Value, that is actually yep. your company, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, we, we basically our, our model is very simple. We want to have fun, uh, have good people who want to keep developing themselves and share what we've learned. So because we are basically, you know, we 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 met each other through the analog, and uh, from there sharing sharing what we've learned have always been in our DNA. So your regular CS at conferences, well, not in the past half year, but before we would regularly present at conferences. Uh, we give a lot of trainings, uh, tech talks, uh, etc. So, uh, yeah, we, we really like to work on amazing projects and then tell the world about what we did and, and hopefully help the communities a bit uh, in, in that aspect. So, uh, have you have you used Quarkus recently? I'm just curious. Uh, yeah, well, some ex experimenting, not not in production at clients uh, mm -hmm. yet, but we have done some experiments with it. And what I liked about it is, well, a couple of things. I liked the uh, the developer experience, how fast you can develop, auto reloading, etc. I liked the fact that that it has pretty good support to compile to GraalVM native images, which I think is good if you know want to run on on serverless stuff, for example. Uh, and I also like that it it seems fairly doable to migrate an existing Java EE application yeah. to a Quarkus application yeah, because absolutely. of you know compatible APIs, etc. So I think uh, it, it's a really good chance for um, companies that want to modernize their Java EE applications to, mm -hmm. to investigate uh, Quarkus. And this is exactly what, what we are doing at one of our current projects, uh, investigating whether this would be an option to, to do so. Yeah, this is also what I'm doing. So it's actually fairly simple to migrate. So if you have some EJBs, they can basically replace at stateless with request code and transactional and ready to go. And this yeah. worked really well with Quarkus. So, um, and uh, what are you usually doing in your company? So, what's your project in Open Value? Yeah, we do co consulting, so different projects at different clients. But the, the typical stack we use is uh, Spring uh, in the front end, Java or uh, sorry, Angular or uh, React. Um, Angular or React. Angular or React. That's typically the the the, the You know, you know use. both. Uh, well, at least most of our people know at least one of them, and some know and both. You? Yeah. You have experience with uh, both. I have experience. I have production experience with Angular and toy experience with react if you if you know react is it easy to go back to angular for you i don't know uh, I, I like angular because um it's really structured and i don't need to think about that much things you know if okay. i want to have a routing there's routing in react i need to think about which routing framework i want to use for, for yeah. example yeah exactly. uh, angular is also really structured it forces you to work in components etc and it's it's fairly similar i would say to what we know from from the java and spring world with, with yeah. annotations etc so uh I like Angular, but probably because I learned Angular first. And if I would have learned React first and then looked at Angular, I would have said this looks complex. No, no for, for me, it's just Angular is like application server in the browser. I, I don't get it. And React for me is okay. And what I actually do, I think this is what I also uh, was my talk in Open Value in Munich, I guess. But uh, what, 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 what I'm doing right now in some projects, we are completely removing actually Angular and replacing with nothing, with web components. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, and and uh, you know why? Because the larger companies they don't like you know the fact that Angular comes with two versions a year. Yeah, and if you wait too long, you know you have lots of security stuff, and uh, the build doesn't work. So this is actually what I wanted to know to to know your um, opinion about that because um, React, for instance, if you take a look at React, this is very similar to web components and lit.html. You have basically nothing so you can pick in our router. Um, yeah. Web components are ready to go, and Angular, as you said, is the entire abstraction. So everything is abstracted. So the, it yeah. ships with everything, which uh, of course is huge, right? So it, yeah. if you install <laughs> Angular, it, yeah, it downloads twenty-five thousand JavaScript files. Which yeah, is, uh, I think uh, the the Hello World Angular application is about if it's compiled about two hundred k or something. I think, which is fa fairly large. 
Yeah, but 200K is not the problem. The problem is, is the build system on your machine. There's like yeah. 25,000 files. Yeah, but the, the end users uh, uh, don't bother the build system on a machine, right? No. So. The problem is, if you have larger projects, you have to keep your build system running. Yeah. If you yeah. wait too long, it uh, can be painful, you know, to upgrade yeah. your build system. Sure. That's yeah. the problem. Uh, yeah. The you no know, production will work. And uh, you have experience in Spring, right? Yeah. And now Quarkus, is there any difference for you? Or is it, are they comparable? I say that, that the concepts are comparable. You know, uh, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's an easy, lightweight way to, in most cases, make REST and REST endpoints, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. uh, what I like about Spring is that there's a huge ecosystem uh, where lots of, you know, you can basically get everything you need in a Spring library. Mm -hmm. For Quarkus, I'd say this is still developing. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I do like the developer experience of Quarkus a bit better, where you get, you know, auto-reloading by default, etc. Mm -hmm. um, there's always a trade-off between just adding one uh, dependency and then you have, a, I don't know, you have security in your application or so, for mm -hmm. example, because your your job as a developer switches from debugging your own code to debugging someone else's uh, code. Mm -hmm. uh, so in general, I like simple simple solutions and simple frameworks. I wouldn't call Spring Boot simple. It is easy to use and lots of people know about Spring and therefore there's lots of adoption in companies. So for me, it was also interesting is what's the adoption in the market? If somebody would ask me now, like what, what Java framework would I learn? Then I would say first, learn, learn Spring Boot. Second, learn Quarkus. And third, maybe learn Java EE or Micronaut based on what I know in adoption in, product, in projects at, at our clients. But you know, um, um, Quarkus, it ships with MicroProfile, and MicroProfile is Java. Sure. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, there, so there's, yeah. Um, there's actually, for me, there is no difference between Java and and Quarkus. And if you look yeah. at Quarkus, you will find you know internally it's actually uh, lots of whiteflash stuff that uh, yeah. is based on Vertex and REST easy, and actually whatever you know from whiteflash isn't isn't yeah. Quarkus inside. Yeah. So I do think that the Quarkus will be solely responsible for a, a light comeback of Java E. Uh, yeah. I think. Yeah. So that's and, that's probably a good thing for the Java EE world. Yeah, and uh why why um I didn't knew that we would actually spend some time talking about Quarkus, but <laughs> but uh I was just curious because you said, you know, uh and uh what what I actually found very late was, was very late. So um the history was, you know, you know, we had Whitefly and JBoss and so forth, and then we had uh, we got Whitefly Swarm. Yeah. And Thontail, and I never understood this. Okay, why are you doing this? Is just uh, there's no difference for me between Whitefly Swarm and the full Whiteflies, or um, no. But and then Red Hat pinged me and they say, okay, um, there is something interesting. So, okay, never. I mean, what you will probably do is know the Whitefly Swarm Mini or whatever, and this will be uh, 2K less than the other Whitefly. And then I took a look at Quarkus and I saw that it's completely different. And I think the really the 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 revolution there is. The observation that you don't need the deployment and you can optimize like crazy upfront, yeah. and this changes everything because at runtime there is no more class loading, there is no more uh, XML parsing, and this is why it's so crazy fast. And I mean, they didn't optimize there. Yeah. No, they changed the way how applications are built, and this yeah. is what I really like. So, and yeah. and and this coupled with the fact that it's very easy to migrate from stock Java E applications to Quarkus. So if someone decides, you can just you know migrate to Quarkus, not necessarily to be smaller, but there are more APIs. You know, there, it ships already with OpenID Connect and 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 uh, Kafka and uh, and uh, AMQP and MQTT or whatever. So it is the, the huge huge ecosystem which extends yeah. you know the basic Java. E. Yeah, I think it was a real smart move to go for Java E compatibility because that's that was the space that needed something new. Uh, yeah. I'd say. Yeah, and this is good you know for marketing and good for uh, and it actually you can say fifty percent of memory. Comparing 
with any other runtime. I have never compared it to Spring Boot. I have, I have to admit, I have almost no Spring Boot experience. But uh, uh, I, I, what I what I did, I compared with Whitefly, with uh, Tomcat, and with yeah. uh, Jetty, and it was almost smaller. And yeah. this is remarkable, actually. Yeah. What is the yeah, project? What are you building so, with Quarkus right now? Uh, I was just I was just experimenting with Quarkus a little for uh, to to get to know it a little. So it's mm -hmm. no, there's no production project there. Just just you know making some rest endpoints and seeing okay. how to do okay. uh, how to do next. I am planning to use Quarkus for um, the the a serverless backend of the uh, events app we have for the NLJerk. So when you're for example you go to J4 J Spring, we have an app, and in this app you can vote. Uh, you can vote on sessions. Okay. So uh, the nice thing is that this this is the ultimate use case for serverless because during the entire year there will be no requests at all. Yeah. Only during J4 we might have fifteen hundred requests per second if everybody votes at the same time. Yeah. So it is real good to have a serverless solution for this. So uh, I, currently this this backend is running in Spring Boot and it's running on Amazon on just VMs and whenever the conference is I I scale the VMs from zero to four and then I know that it can have enough enough load. But then uh, during the conference, I also need to pay for the load balancer that's in front. So yeah. still, this will cost me maybe 30 or $40 or something for, yeah. for one event. While as if I could run it on AWS Lambda, for example, as a Quarkus application, uh, then serverless becomes interesting. I, I couldn't do so far because if I were building in a spring, then I would be looking at a couple of seconds of startup time when the first request comes in. This yeah. is too long. Yeah. I don't want my, my visitors to, to wait too long because before they can rate the session. Mm -hmm. But if I could go for uh, Quarkus, and make a native image that will start up in 0 0.0001 seconds, mm -hmm. then it's ideal for serverless approaches. And then probably it won't cost me anything because with Lambda, you can get, I don't know, 10,000 requests free per month exactly. or something. This, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and it scales infinitely. So, and then I have in the backend, I use DynamoDB as a database, which also auto scales. So yeah. pro <laughs> probably it will infinitely be scalable and it won't cost me anything, which is nice, I would say. Uh, I don't know whether you saw, but uh, I would say two months ago, I recorded a uh, a video or this was a talk for um, how do you call it Guild Forty Two, which is like yep. organization in Switzerland uh, in Bern, try to try to make to make you know the city of Bern more attractive. And what I recorded a talk is serverless with Quarkus, yep. and and I pushed it during the talk uh, to uh, as an Amazon Lambda image. So yep. this is the and the the surprising part is with Quarkus, uh, you can actually key, uh, pick any. Jaxo REST resource, REST resource, and which can be multiple classes, and then push it as a Lambda function. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't have you know, to so, use this strange Lambda SDK, so you can just have exactly yeah, the sure. same app, wrap it as so a do Lambda, they package and push it. it. The, do they package it in as a, uh, what's called a native runtime? So just a zip file with yeah. a binary in there or something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this happens automatically. So yeah. uh, you can decide whether it is native or not. During the talk, I used the JVM image first. Yep. And then use uh, package to 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 native, and you saw yeah. the difference. It starts faster. Yep. There is a. Yeah, so I think that <laughs> that GraalVM is 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 uh, uh, the thing that made Java compatible again, uh, com a competitor again in the yep. in the serverless space. Because yep. before it would just start up too too long uh, with with native images. It starts up as fast or even faster as a Python lambda or a JavaScript lambda or or a Go lambda. So. Yep. But this is no more that important because uh, what I noticed at Amazon, they uh, they are very good at pre-caching the uh, the lambdas. So the, the, yeah. the you know the long start startup times are over. So what I noticed, yeah, I think they, it depends on whether your lambda stays stays warm or not. Yeah, exactly. If they keep it keep it running, then then it's fast. But if if you if it's down for a while, they will scale to zero, and then the first request will take some time. And once you yeah. scale up, the first request of every scale action will will also take time. So therefore. Exactly. 
uh, startup time still matters, I would say. So we you... need EJB pooling again. Maybe, yeah. But that, that is that, that is an interesting point because yeah. um, if you have uh, pooling and caches in general, yeah. because if you have your application running all the time, you can have a cache or a pool in memory. Yeah. Yeah. But if your if your lambda scales back to zero, you need to externalize this pool or this cache, and then maybe yeah. you need to use a Redis or something else that that survives lambda restarts. So yeah, to say. exactly. So um, yeah, I, I thought about this recently. You no, know, something like uh, connection pools for database don't make any sense at all. Because you have one one lambda node which calls the backend. So if you would yeah. use, let's say, Postgres prepared statements, you would have, you know, to we need completely different approach. Yeah, and so I, probably there will be some there, there will be some new cloud services emerging that that handle this for you. So, for example, connection pooling for database or stuff stuff like this. What I remember, it was probably ten years ago. Uh, like uh, I think it was Oracle Database announced that they can have uh, caching for prepaid, spa prepaid statements without connection pool for PHP back then. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, the, yeah. and uh, lots of PHP projects uh, relied on that because they they, they didn't have, they never understood it, but they had no concept of connection pooling back then. And uh, something like this could be useful for lambdas, right? So they only have to remember in the database, okay, this is the client ID, and from this we have this prepaid statements already, the pre-cached, you know, you know pre-cached, yeah, pre-cached and pre-compiled statements. Yeah. So what yeah. what are you doing right now? Is this uh, just hacking Quarkus? No, I uh, I um, demoted myself from developer to manager. So I'm oh. mostly uh, help, helping our team uh, find the best assignments they have. I do some consulting for clients every now and then to help them with uh, stuff like continuous delivery and DevOps. But I'm, I'm not doing any full-time projects uh, anymore, just some hobby projects. No plasmas. Uh, well, I did a Plasma uh, in the past <laughs> year or so, so uh, I'll send you the link afterwards. It's, it's in JavaScript. And it's, yeah, it's you have to. Cool, yeah, so. I'm really, really curious. So send me the link with your Plasma, so, so I'll be uh, really interested. So um, so now you're degraded to, to manager, and, and you enjoy yes. it. Uh, well, yes, there, there are good parts and bad parts. So uh, sometimes I think back on the time when I was working as a consultant, just focusing on one project full-time. In yeah. hindsight, that was awesome. Now yeah. I need to focus on a thousand projects at the same time, uh, so, so to say, uh, because there's always something going on. But on, on the other hand, it's also nice to be able to to help a group of amazing engineers with finding the best projects they can and help them progress in their careers and help them, you know, share what they've learned and, and coach them a little. So uh, I think I, I, I still get enough fun with tech but it's more like in a distributed way because because my colleagues are working with amazing things and they tell me about it and i can help them help them with it okay so so you just get you know the interesting story stories afterwards yes yeah <laughs> yeah but 20 25 25 stories uh in parallel so uh it's it's more than i can do it just by myself yeah you need almost uh serverless uh you know yeah. lambdas yeah. to consume the all, all of these stories um, yeah. One question I would like to ask about Quarkus, what, what you didn't like about Quarkus. This is more interesting because... Um... Um, yeah, I, I think it still needs to prove itself to be capable of, of handling production workloads. I think not many people are, are, are running Quarkus in production yet. So what I don't like is that it's not proven technology yet. This is a matter of time, I think. So I can, uh, I can assure you we are running Quarkus a lot in production. Yeah, yeah, it works. Yeah. And uh, if uh, we mostly run in Docker container, I don't cannot remember bare metal and Kubernetes a lot. And this, even if Quarkus had some problems, you know, with memory or whatever, because of Kubernetes, it Kubernetes will kill killed the Quarkus and restart a new one. I think more issues or more suspicious would be, you know, the GraalVM native compilation. Yeah, this is where you could expect some problems. But uh, the nice story is with Quarkus uh, in my project at least that Quarkus is already so small on stock JVMs that everyone is happy with it. You know, yeah. so uh, yeah. I, we're not running. I can't remember whether we ever run 
Quarkus with the native GraalVM compilation. This is just a showcase. And yeah. we and one of the reasons I don't know what's in your project, but in my project, my clients like to have, you know, they own JVMs. So they pay yes. support for Red Hat or uh, I don't know, yeah. for, for and, and then if I would say we need GraalVM, which is open source from Oracle, or we have to buy support from Oracle, it will probably die. Yeah. And if it, if I tell them it runs on day JDK, they are happy. So this is this yeah. is what uh, yeah, what what I found with the adoption. Yeah, 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 that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, we see this. It depends on the clients. So yeah. um, if the clients are full into open source, then probably it's adopt open JDK or something like uh, something like this. Uh, larger, more enterprise companies like financial institutions, yeah. they typically want to support a supported JVM. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if it, it uh, if we if it runs on a supported JVM, it is is in. Otherwise, it is not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, are you hiring open value or are you happy with yes we are well the, the our our model is that we grow separate offices to max 25 people so our utrecht office is full we are hiring in uh, rotterdam we are hiring in munich in dusseldorf and in vienna so do you have more than 25 employees then right uh if you count them all together yes uh yeah, everything sure. in total uh, i think it will be more in the order of uh, 85 uh, oh. But for my group of people in Utrecht, it's 25. Okay. So these so, separate offices have separate organizations. So, so your secret plan is to take over the world, right? So you need in, age, in every major city an open value. That would be nice. Yeah. Cooling of 25 yeah. developers. But, but that, that, that would mean that we would have uh, amazing presentations in every city around the world sharing what we've learned, right? So that would be good, a good thing for the community. Yeah. And we could use Quarkus on Lambda, you know, to get the feedback. Definitely. Yeah. Without paying any money on t uh, to Amazon. Yeah. Cool. Um, uh, what where people can find you on the internet regarding you know you mean pointers? regarding me regarding me, me your or company uh, whatever uh, yeah. yes uh, well I, I'm the most easiest to find on uh, Twitter at uh, mm -hmm. BJ Schrijver which is my uh, Twitter handle mm -hmm. um, you can find Open Value at uh, openvalue.nl our website or openvalue.de openvalue.at just just type whatever country you live in you'll probably uh, find us mm -hmm. I'm most easy to reach on Twitter I spent way too much time uh, there uh, so if you have any questions want to reach out uh, uh, at BJ Schrijver on Twitter. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed it.